We'll take our Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Sermon text is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. The sermon will be focused on verses 46 through 55 as we look at Mary's song. But we're going to read this whole section so get our context. Be there with me. Follow along as I read. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord your God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted, greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months 
and returned to her home. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we come to You grateful for the revelation of Your truth to us. We are uh, undeserving of Your kind gift of Your Word, an opportunity to be able to read it this morning, to study it, affirm its truths, and we seek to apply them to our lives. And so we ask this morning that You would give grace to us. As Your Word is preached, Lord, may it be preached with faithfulness. May it be preached with clarity. May our hearts be prepared to embrace Your truth, accept what You have for us through it. Lord, may we in this time commune with You. May we hear Your voice in Your Word. May we know Your thoughts as You have revealed them to us. May we hear in it words of hope and love and grace and mercy as we're looking at today. May in, in, in those words of hope and love and mercy and grace, or may May we see a God who is for His people. Who is eternally for His people. A God who who desires to not only save them, but to then uh, rejoice over them and to bring them into His kingdom for eternity. A, A Father who is opening His house wide for His children to come in. May we today look upon You and find our great needs met. For You today are offering up to us Yourself. To know You. To glorify You and enjoy You. May May we come ready to receive. Hearts and minds ready to engage as we come together as Your people in Your presence through the work of Jesus Christ alone. And as Your people coming together gathered in this place, we come though as part of Your people gathering across this globe. Lord, and may, may, may it not just be us here rejoicing in this glorious gifts that are given to us through Your Word and through Your revelation, but, but may it also be a rejoicing of this gift across our world as Your people come together. As pastors stand and faithfully preach Your Word, as people come and embrace Your Word and respond to it, Lord, may May we continue to see Your name glorified and spread across our globe. We want to pray specifically for Manuel and Jenna Sanchez as they are training in Atlanta and preparing to 
plant churches in the Dominican Republic, that you would continue to give grace to them as they meet this morning with the church. Lord, may they, may they find great comfort and hope in you. Lord, we not only pray for uh, them, we also pray for Mission Baptist Church and Mission Bible Church, sorry, and uh, Pastor Errol as he meets today in Nuka, that you would just give grace to them as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are going to be looking at the Magnificat. And so this is Mary's song, and it's Latin for magnifies. And uh, we see that coming right from the very beginning of the text there at the end of verse 46 when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so just as we saw the, the, the Latin name for Zacharias, Prophecy comes right from the, the first word in his prophecy, prophecy, blessed be, so the Benedictus. So we see Mary's comes right from this first phrase, uh, magnify is what we're looking at here today. And really that's the desire of our sermon is to really see how does God, uh, how is God magnified? Why is he magnified? And uh, as we work through this text, we're going to see a number of different ways in which he is magnified. And we're going to see it from a young woman. As we read and get the background of her a little bit, and for many of us, we we know the Christmas story fairly well that comes from uh, Luke. And we see how here is this young woman living in Nazareth in Galilee, betrothed to a man from the house of David, the lineage of David. And she is confronted by an angel from God who tells her amazing things, similar to Zechariah. The amazing things that are told toward Zechariah as well. And and it's interesting how um, Zechariah responds with a question that is not a question of faith, which causes the angel to make him mute and dumb for a season until his son is born. In verse 18 of chapter 1, Zechariah responds to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And then we see the same thing occur with Mary. She asks the question as well. And yet, there's a very different response from the angel. It's a question of faith, not a lack of faith. How will this be since I am a virgin? It's not a question of, you can't do this, God. I'm like Zechariah. I'm too old. This is not going to happen, right? Lack of faith, but Mary's is a question more than ever. She wants to know how it's going to be done. I believe it's going to be done. How's it going to be done? And we know that very uh, fact that this is all pouring out of faith, not just because of Mary's response and her song and everything, but even Elizabeth's prophecy as she begins to talk about this this fruit of Mary's womb and and the blessedness of 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 Jesus visiting Elizabeth even in Mary's womb. And and look at the last verse there in that section, verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That there's this clear indication here as Elizabeth is, I believe, is prophesying here. And it's it's interesting. I I didn't point this out last, last week when we're looking at Zechariah's prophecy, but as you look at even Elizabeth's prophecy, she exclaims with a loud voice, blessed are you. Like the same word, like that begins 
Zechariah's prophecy begins Elizabeth's prophecy as well. But ultimately, the point being here is that she's affirming the very fact that Mary is someone who has embraced, who has believed what the Lord has said, that there will be this fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. We know that Mary comes from a very humble background as she describes herself. We'll look at that in more detail when we look into her song as she describes herself as one coming from a humble estate. And you even even understand a bit why that would be the case. I mean, she's betrothed to someone from the house of David. Ultimately, we're going to see from the very lineage of the kings. That, That doesn't seem very humble. And yet, you think about where they're at. So here is someone in the lineage of the king who you'd think would live maybe in Bethlehem or around that area, uh, someplace maybe a little bit nicer than Nazareth of Galilee. In a sense, you could say that's how far they have fallen. And we get to later on in the Gospels and we read about people's views of Nazareth. And, and one of the disciples is told before he's a disciple uh, by his brother, hey, I found, I found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And his response is, Nazareth? What, what good could come out of Nazareth? Like that's, that's how far they fall. I mean, so when we consider, we don't know like what their poverty level was. Were they living in squalor? We don't know that. It doesn't say that. What we are told, though, is that they're not living in the most respectable place in town. And uh, they're definitely considered of a more humble estate, more humble means. And, uh, and yet God does not discriminate based upon our social, political, or social economical levels. Rather, he comes to this young lady who, as we walk through this, while we're not going to point out a lot of the references to the Old Testament this time as much as we did last time in Zechariah's prophecy, realize that, that Mary's song as she presents it um, comes heavily from Hannah's song. You see a lot of similarities between Mary's song and Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. And then, as well, there's probably at least 12 references to the Old Testament in Mary's song. Here is a young lady who, though born in, humble, in a humble place, in a not very reputable place, yet seems to know her Bible fairly well. This is not someone who, you know, hadn't really thought about God much, and now all of a sudden the angel appears and now she begins to. But rather, this seems to be someone who very much understood the the history of Israel, the promises of God, the expectation of fulfillment. And so we have someone who we can look at and see in, in her the desire, the desire to see God work, to see God bring about um, His promises for His people. And while in many cases, many of, many of the Israelites during this day, specifically in and around Jerusalem, would profess their hope in God and their hope in the Messiah to come, really, they, they had made their peace with Rome and were gaining all their power and influence and authority 
through a relationship with Rome that they ultimately don't want to see you really messed up with. I mean, you see that in some of the, as you read in through the Gospels longer, you see that in some of the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they deal with Jesus. Like they're, they're not ready for the Messiah to come in and completely uh, upend all their political power and everything. They want to maintain it. They want to keep it. They make back, backdoor deals with Rome to get rid of Jesus. Um, and so and so and yet you have these these other pictures of these people that are being brought to the forefront by Luke like Mary and Zechariah like Simeon and Anna who who whose desire and expectation that God would fulfill his promises one day God will fulfill his promises yes it's been 400 years since we've heard from God through his prophets but we still are trusting that one day He will fulfill His promises. As you have in people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, people like Mary, people as we're going to see later in Simeon, a desire to see God fulfill His promises. And so, in turn, as we look at the Magnificat today, we see Mary's overflowing, overflowing praise to God fulfilling His promises. So our main point today is this. You should overflow with praise to God for faithfully keeping His promises of mercy through the incarnation of Jesus. You should overflow with praise to God for fulfilling or for faithfully keeping His promises of mercy through the incarnation of Jesus. Really, mercy comes from a word back in the uh, Old Testament and it's his hesed, his steadfast love, mercy that is given to his people. And so as, as, uh, as hesed is translated in the Septuagint, mercy in the Greek that is translated here, we see this, this steadfast love, this keeping of his covenant promises, this mercy that he's going to pour out upon his people. So we want to ask one question today. And uh, we have uh, five answers to that question. And then uh, our second point is connecting it to everyday life. So the question is, why is God magnified? Just like why is God blessed in Zechariah's prophecy, we want to know why is God magnified here in Mary's prophecy, or Mary's song. And specifically, she starts, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What you saying? The, the whole inward being of who I am. Um, you know, some people might want to try to parse out, you know, the difference between my soul and my spirit here. But really, really in, in Hebrew poetry, they're being used interchangeably. These are two parallel phrases meant to convey the same type of meaning. And one just adds a little bit then to the other. So one describes the soul magnifying the Lord and my spirit. It's just just both of those meant to describe the interbeing in my inner self magnifies or rejoices, and the addition is in the, the, the very end. So my soul magnifies the Lord, and then I rejoice in God, my Savior. That's where the main addition is to these parallel phrases. And so her desire is to demonstrate how she is trusting in God as her Savior. And ultimately, she refers to His mercy multiple times in this. And that's why we focus on the mercy that's been given. Verse 50 is an is a integral key verse 
do this whole song right in the center and it trans transitions between what God has done for Mary specifically and what he's going to do for everyone and it says his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation and then we go down to verse 54 and we see that he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy ultimately all that she's proclaiming here has been done by God in remembrance of the mercy that he has promised and so that's that's what leads us to uh, this first this uh, this first question of why God is magnified and the answer because God faithfully showed his mercy faithfully showed his mercy and then we're going to add to that answer uh, a number of different uh of different categories of how that mercy has been shown and the first thing we see in the song is that that god faithfully showed his mercy to mary he faithfully shows his mercy to mary verse 48 first half for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant Here Mary affirms that God has stooped low to use her. It's mercy that God chose to use Mary. As low as she was, as humble as she demonstrates her spirit to be, as trusting as she is in Him, yet she is still undeserving of such a use. In fact, we all are undeserving to be used as an instrument in God's hands. We don't deserve from Him. We have rebelled against Him. We've turned against Him. We've rejected Him. And what we all deserve is God's wrath and His punishment. And yet, God is a God of mercy. In fact, as He declares His name to the nation of Israel, specifically directed to Moses to convey to the nation of Israel. He says, my name is I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. This is who God is. A God who does show mercy, who chooses to show mercy, and chooses to show mercy on whomever He desires to show mercy on. And in turn, Mary, in understanding that, understands that she does not deserve mercy, but rather God, this glorious God, has looked upon her humble estate and has blessed her out of mercy. Mary demonstrates her humility by being honest with who she was. Someone of a low status. With the implication of humble station. In fact, the the Greek were there uh, is understood to be of an unprecedented state or condition of lowliness or humility. So she doesn't just use like just a, a basic word for how low her estate is, but she uses one that describes it as uh, as an unpretentious state, as a as a very very low condition of lowness. In fact, in some senses, she's saying what Paul says later, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the lowest of the low, Mary is saying. Why would he choose me? And yet God chooses not based upon our status, 
not based upon who we are or what we've done. God chooses to show mercy because God is a God of mercy. God is a God who can and will demonstrate His mercy on whomever He chooses. So why is He magnified? Well, first of all, because God faithfully showed His mercy to Mary. But secondly, because God faithfully showed His mercy through Mary. Mary goes on to affirm in this verse, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. So Mary affirms here in, in verse 48 that God's work through her will change her identity. Her identity is going to change. No longer is she going to be someone who's looked upon as of humble status, the lowest of the low, but rather from now on all generations will call me blessed. They will see how blessed I am. And yet, when you continue on to verse 49, you see that Mary continues to demonstrate her humility by being clear that God's power, God's might, has done this great thing for her, not herself. See, it's God faithfully showing His mercy through Mary. The, the blessing that comes, this new identity that, that comes, these great things that are done for her are ultimately done not by her, not because of her, but because of God and by God. God is the one giving the glory here. God is the one who is doing mighty things. Mary is just the recipient. A very grateful recipient giving Him the praise, magnifying Him, rejoicing in Him because it's His might that has done this work. God is working through Mary. Mary, though an unworthy, undeserving instrument, is an instrument nonetheless that God is willing to use. And in turn, Mary's response is the right response for us undeserving instruments that God chooses to use. What is her response as we saw back in 45? That she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God had spoken from the Lord. And that's really meant to be our response as well. As God calls upon us as His people to live out according to the purposes He has created us, Just as revelatory as the, the angels speaking the truths of what's going to happen to Mary, so God has given us His Word, His revealed truth, so that we might know how God desires us to live our lives. We are meant to understand we do not deserve it. And yet God graciously, mercifully gives it to us. And then in turn, as we seek to live it out, what do we realize? With Paul, we can say, you know, we put all our effort in, but not... But not in our own might did we do it, but in God. But it was Him working through me. That's what Paul says. But this is, this is our hope. And this is why we respond so often in magnifying, rejoicing, and praising God. Why we should overflow in our praise like Mary is, is because... As undeserving as we are, God has chosen to save us and God is choosing to use us. 
and can see his work. Why is God magnified? Because God faithfully chose to show his mercy not just to Mary, but through Mary. Then we continue on to the end of verse 49, verse 50. The third answer is because God faithfully showed his mercy to save his people. To save his people. I think the end of verse 49 actually goes with verse 50 and not with what precedes. So verse 50, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And I think that's meant to be a break and we're moving on kind of to a new category. They're connected, but the, the new category. And holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, Mary obviously is including herself in that. His mercy is shown to me because I fear him from generation, but it becomes broader now than just Mary. Now it's talking about anyone who would fear him. They're talking about the saving of his people, of all those who would fear him, which should cause us to ask the question, why affirm God's holiness here? Why, why holiness? Holy is his name. God is holy. Basically what Mary is saying there. When we look back into the Old Testament, we realize that holiness does not just refer to God's moral attributes, but also refers to God in His exalted state above all other things. He is separate and above all other things. And as you consider His holy name being separate and above all other things, we find throughout the Old Testament that there's a connection between this holy being separated from all things and the demonstration of His mercy. That His holy name would be upheld above everything else. That upholding of that name is often done through the pouring out of mercy on His people. Now, Sometimes it's done through the judgment of his enemies too. And that definitely upholds his holy name as well. But the focus here that Mary has is on mercy. And we see that in Ezekiel 39. Again, where we, where we come across the new covenant ideas, we see that in Ezekiel 39 here. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. Here in this promise of the new covenant to restore his people, what does he say? He's going to do it by showing mercy to them. And in doing so, he upholds his name. He's showing his jealousy for his holy name. Not only that, we see it in Exodus 33. Describes his name. I will make all my goodness pass before you, Moses, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. As I already stated, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What is, what is God's name that's meant to be on display? That He can show mercy to whom He can show mercy, and He cannot show mercy to whom He will not show mercy. His, his, his righteousness and His judgment demonstrate His name, but also His mercy and grace demonstrate His name as well. You see it in Daniel, in Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9. Verse 17 through 19. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayers of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And he goes on to say, And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eye to see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. 
For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And we see Daniel himself, he pleads on the basis of this. Your holy name is meant to be set apart above all things. And because of that, pour out mercy on us. Return us from exile. Bring us back. Man, that's what the new covenant is all about. This bringing God's people back. It's it's Jesus coming and calling His people to Him as the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. And so, Mary appeals to the holiness of God's name as a reason by which He will show mercy, which is what she goes right into in verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. This covenant love, this steadfast love, and God's keeping of these covenants with those who fear Him, who reverently worship Him and obey Him as God. And, 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 the, and the, the plea here that she has in this, and the reason she's rejoicing over this, is that as God has done this in the past, so He will do it in the present, and so it will continue on into the future, that God's mercy as a holy God will be poured out upon those who fear Him from generation to generation. From the very beginning of time, until the end of time and beyond into eternity. Those who would fear God will receive His mercy. Those who turn in faith, alone trusting in Jesus Christ, reverently casting themselves upon Him as the God who became man, give Himself for His people will find mercy. Fourth answer, because God faithfully shows His mercy through the Savior, Jesus. And here we see these descriptors of what's going to occur. He has shown strength with His arm. He scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good thing and the rich He sent away. And here, these are descriptors of, of the, the work that Jesus Christ both did in His first coming and will complete in His second coming. Mercy to the humble and the hungry. Judgment to the proud and the rich. And these statements are more religious than they are political or economical. Uh, specifically now, in the, as, as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, what does He say? I have not come to feed those who are full. I've not come to care for those who are well. I've come to feed those who are hungry, care for those who are sick. These, these are fulfilled in, in, in Jesus' ministry. That the hungry is filled. That the proud are humbled and the humble are brought up and exalted through His work and ministry. Not, not in the ways that we oftentimes think of in the, in the very temporal and and monetary or 
political, economical ways, but rather in, in that which matters the most, spiritually. Those to come to Jesus hungry to receive salvation and hope are not cast away. Not left hungry. Those who hum sick because of the sin that is in them, because of the, the wrath that awaits him, are not cast away. Those who are come ready to lay down their pride and humbly give themselves, all of them, to Jesus as their only hope are not cast away. Exalts them. Raises them up. There's this antithetical parallelism, parallelism here in this section where the proud and the rich are left empty, brought low. The humble and hungry are exalted. I mean, in a sense, you, Jesus is flipping the script on everything. But he's not just like, well, if you're hungry, then you'll be fed. If you're, no, he's the reason the script is flipped. Like, he's, he's the point of it. He's where that script gets flipped. That's, he's at the center of it. And that's why our, our hope is in him alone. And ultimately, as we look at these things more religiously, spiritually, we know, though, that as we go on through the New Testament, as we get to Revelation, what do we find? His people in white robes crying under the altar having been persecuted in this life. and Crying, how long? How long must we be persecuted in this life? How long must we suffer? We're told at the time that that's written in Revelation just a little bit longer. You get to the end of Revelation, what, is, what do we see? His people ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ forever. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin, no more hunger, no more death. But though, though we understand these to be mainly spiritual and religious here within this context as we're looking to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, yet we know that His second return will not only make these a spiritual reality fulfilled, but a, a physical reality fulfilled as well. And that is our hope in Jesus Christ. The fifth, fifth answer, because God faithfully shows His mercy through redemptive history. And here we'll just talk a little bit uh, uh, about that. We looked at that a lot last week as we looked at the covenant promises fulfilled through Zechariah's prophecy. Yet we see here that Mary is not unaware of the promises made in the past. Specifically as she uses these words in remembrance. In remembrance of His mercy that He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and His offspring, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These covenant commitments, these promises committed to God's people will not go unanswered and unfulfilled. Rather, what, is, what does Mary see here? Mary sees these fulfilled as well. That this is the plan of God through redemptive history. He has not forgotten His plan. He has not changed His plan. Rather, He is 
fulfilling His plan. And in remembrance of His mercy is not that God forgot it or was in danger of forgetting it, but rather this is meant to confirm His commitment. Just as I have spoken in the past, so I will fulfill it. I will remember all the promises I have made and will fulfill them all. As Mary looks at how God has demonstrated mercy to her, as how God is demonstrating mercy through her, as He's demonstrating mercy to, to uh, His people in their salvation, as He's demonstrating mercy through Jesus Christ coming and, and ultimately uh, growing up to fulfill His ministry and to give His life as a ransom dying on the cross for His people. So God faithfully shows His mercy throughout redemptive history and does not fail to keep one of His promises. And therefore, her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For Mary, Jesus was her Savior. Jesus was a demonstration of mercy to her, the fulfillment of all His promises. How can we connect this to everyday life? Well, first of all, are you trusting in God's provision of mercy? Are you trusting in God's provision of mercy? Because mercy comes through Jesus Christ. Undeserving as we are of any good from God, deserving rather His wrath, as we desperately do need mercy. Every human being does, whether they know it or not. And so the call is to trust in God's provision of mercy. Even the, the mother of Jesus, Roman Catholics want to exalt to some highly position, describes herself here as needing the Savior Jesus. He is her Savior. We all need God's provision of mercy. And so are we trusting in it? Definitely, that's clearly a call to those who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ. But it should be a reminder and a call to us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as well. Sometimes we can be tempted to having trusted in the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now we live how we want to now. We don't need that mercy anymore. Well, He saved us, and now we don't need that mercy anymore. But every day, we desperately do need His mercy. We need to be reminded who He is and what He's done, and that He is our hope in this life and the next. Our only hope. Secondly, do you praise God's faithfulness in humility? As God works in your life, maybe not even in the ways you expect, you humbly praise His faithfulness. Sometimes, sometimes life can be quite difficult and, and Jesus did not promise that it would be any different. In fact, He said many times that it, His followers would be persecuted, would have difficulty in this life. And yet, what has He said in light of that as well? Is He will never leave us or forsake us. We are not abandoned or forsaken. In fulfillment of His promises, He gives us His Holy Spirit and His Word. The Holy Spirit and the Word work in conjunction so that we might know Him, so that we might experience His love, 
We might hear His voice as we read His text. And so do we praise God's faithfulness and humility. Not, not demanding of God that our life would look the way we want it to, live, to look. I mean, was this the way Mary maybe envisioned her life? We don't, we, don't, we don't know what her vision for her life was, but we know she was kind of a little surprised by this. Like this, this wasn't really on her radar, right? Until the angel came and showed up and told her. And yet, what does she do? Her life is completely altered and she embraces it. Because God is using her. That's humility. To be able to say, Lord, Lord, here's, here's the direction I'm going and I'm seeking to follow You in it and I'm seeking to live for You, but Lord, You're God. You know everything, so You change it how You want. And I will embrace, I will embrace Your work. I will embrace whatever You have for me with praise. I know that's not always my natural tendency when my life doesn't go exactly the way I want it to to like stand up and be like, my soul magnifies the Lord. <laughs> I'm so glad this happened right now. But that's the call here. Is that we too would magnify the Lord in all things that come in life. And then third question here, do you proclaim Jesus as the only Savior? Do you proclaim Jesus as the only Savior? I mean, her proclamation points to this fulfillment of mercy. And you know things the, the the way the world works being completely overturned and undone ultimately comes about through this birth, this child, Jesus, the death of the man Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the ultimate return of our Savior and God Jesus. And so like Mary, though you don't have to be this poetic, <laughs> you don't even have to sing it. <laughs> Do you proclaim Jesus as the only Savior? I hope that is the case, especially during this Christmas season. I think that is, is always a right challenge to have. We have this great and glorious opportunity. Sure, sure, there's a lot of decorations that include elves and Santa and things like that, but most people are aware of the fact that there's an aspect of Christmas, what we understand is ultimately what Christmas is all about, that points to Jesus. And so this season is a great opportunity to proclaim Jesus as the only Savior. And so I hope you'll take advantage of that. Let's pray. Father, we come. We thank You for this wonderful and glorious song recorded here in Scripture by Luke that we might know both the, the heart of Mary in response to your using her, but then in as well to know your heart. For as you moved her by the Holy Spirit to speak these words, so we also see your heart of mercy in this text. One that faithfully seeks to demonstrate your mercy throughout all generations. So we give you praise and we thank you. We are undeserving and unworthy of being shown such mercy, and yet you have poured it upon us. Mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
And so may he be exalted. In this season, as we celebrate, may he receive praise and glory and honor due him. And may we faithfully represent him to a lost and dying world. I pray for those who are here today or online who have not trusted Jesus Christ, that they would turn and trust in him alone. Lord, you are our hope. You are our comfort. Both in this life and in the next. So we give you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.